0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, well, good morning. Good morning. That's getting better. Let's try again, though. Good morning. Good morning. All right, awesome. Hey, it's good to see each of you. Uh, if you will, grab a Bible and go with me to Hebrews chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible. Uh, no worries, we can throw the uh, text on the screen for you. Uh, shortly, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Bible Church, and uh, I want to welcome you. If this is your first time with us, or maybe your second or third, and you've yet to to get connected and you want to learn more about this church that meets in a cinema, uh, there's a couple ways you can learn about us. One, you can just go to our website, fellowshipparagold.com and learn about us there. Um, Or you can grab uh, one of these cards on this table over here. It's just a a connect card and you can fill out information about yourself. I promise you we will only connect with you on your terms. And so you can mark a box on there. Uh, If you just want us to text you, we'll just text. Or if you want a phone call, we'll give you the the phone call or email. Whatever works best for you. Uh, We just want to learn how to serve your family and get you the information Um, that you want. As you heard in the video, our desire is that you go from feeling like guests to feeling like family as soon as possible. And uh, this is just a family of imperfect people who are all standing in need of one perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, together. And so he's our hero, right? He's where our hope is, and uh, he's all that we have. And so again, welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope that you uh, leave encouraged by who he is and what he has done for you. So again, Hebrews chapter uh, 5 is where we're going to be. I'm actually going to read from verse 11 down to chapter 6, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 5. The writer says this, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness and see as a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. One more verse. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. I want to ask that you uh, pray for me and as I pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have uh, this Sunday morning to all come together. Uh, we do not come here today just to um, just to check something off a list. We come because we need to be changed. We know that there is something beyond us. We know that, that, that there is brokenness in this world. We know that, that things are not as they should be. And, and we are looking for something outside of ourselves to make things right. And we recognize today that, Jesus, you are the only one who can do that. And so we pray that through the power of your spirit right now that you will take this word and make it alive in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to see a show of hands. Uh, How many parents do we have in the house this morning? Parents? Wow, all right. Raising your hands loud and proud. Lots of parents in here today. Um, I love parenting. I think parenting is, is great. But I also think parenting can be excruciating at times, especially around bedtime. Okay. Now I have a uh, a 2-year-old and a 3-year-old and so bedtime can be quite the adventure um in our household, okay? I don't know what bedtime looks like for you guys, but this is kind of the way it looks in the Pickney household. Uh usually around 7:45 or 8 p.m. I'm going to say, "Okay, kids, it's time to get ready for bed." Which it seems like almost every time I say this, what comes next is primal screaming from my kids, because I don't know about your kids, but I think most kids, whenever they hear it's time for bed, what they hear in their little pea brains is, it's time to die, okay, <laughs> like it is time for you to be tortured, right, and so my kids will scream, they'll run, we'll catch them, um, and then what, what comes next for us is, is bath time, all right, and so what's interesting to me, though, is that my kids never want to get in the bath, but when it's time to get out, they don't want to get out of the bath. Right? Is anybody else, some of you are shaking? I'm like, this doesn't make sense. You just told me you hated the bath, and now you're like, I love the bath. Don't take me out, right? And so we we fought that battle, and then because my... My children are still uh, uh, just unashamed by their nakedness. At times, they will want to streak through the house while we're trying to get their pajamas on. And because my two-year-old is not housebroken yet, he'll probably pee somewhere in the house. And so we have to clean that up. And then uh, Megan and I, will she'll grab one kid. I'll I'll grab another, right? And so, um, like this week, she took Wyatt, and she was getting him ready and putting his pajamas on, and I took Nora. And Nora's three years old. I talked to her on Wednesday, and I was like, Nora, you're three now. Like, do you think you can dress yourself? And she's like, no, uh, Aurora doesn't want me to. And I'm like, babe, Aurora is your baby doll. He doesn't even have a soul. Like, it's not real. Like, it doesn't, Aurora doesn't weigh into this decision at all. You know, and she's like, well, I don't know how. And I'm like, how do you not know how? Like, you have two legs, two pant legs. Like, how are you going to make it through life? Like, it's not that hard. Put your pajamas on, right? But we, we wrestle through that, right? And then it's the most agonizing part of the whole bedtime experience. Now it's time to brush teeth. And oh, how I hate brushing teeth. And to be honest, I'm like, man, they're going to fall out of their head anyway. Why does it matter, right? And so, um, but nonetheless, we'll go and, and, and Nora, she'll be like, I can't open my mouth. And be like, it hurts my teeth. And I'm like, no, it doesn't, you know. And I'm like trying to brush. And then Wyatt comes up and Wyatt... He actually, he likes having his teeth brushed. He just doesn't want someone else to do it for him. And so he's like, let me do it. And he's like fighting me and like trying to like grab the brush. And he'll like hit one tooth with toothpaste and then I'll get all the rest of it all over his face. You know, and so we're having to clean that up. And then after that's all said and done, we try to at least three to four times a week to read the Jesus Storybook Bible with our kids. And, and I'll be honest, if you all listen to me as poorly when I preach as my kids do when I read the Jesus Storybook Bible... I would quit ministry. I really would. Because, like, this happened a couple weeks ago. I was talking to some of you about this. I'm like, kids, time for the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I hear from the hallway my daughter say, I don't like Jesus, right? And it's like, are you kidding me? I'm a pastor. You can't say that. And so it's like, you know, it's like, um, so I I get her and we, we get around the couch and, and, and she'll, like, be focusing on a bird rather than Jesus. While i will be trying to, like, rip off a page, like, out of the... Bu- I mean, it's, it's chaos, right? It is chaos. And... and, and here's the deal, sometimes sometimes bedtime really does go off without a hitch, but a lot of times, in order for me to get my kids to do what they need to do for their good, I have to implement fear into the equation. I, I have to say to them something like, if you don't do this, daddy's going to spank your bottom, right? And typically, just the thought of the pain, right, that might come, that fear is enough to get them to do what they need to do what I know is good for them and is actually going to give them a greater life. And, and here's why I, I share that with you. If you're a parent today, you know there's several kinds of fear when it comes to parenting. There's, there's a fun fear, right? Like holding your kid upside down. Like, oh, I'm going to drop you, you know, or whatever else. And so uh, that's fun for me at least. And so, um, or throwing your kid up in the air, right? Or this past week we let our kids watch Jumanji. Does anybody remember Jumanji, by the way? Uh, my daughter was was so scared of some of the parts but she loved it like she'd giggle after she had jumped. Like there's a fun fear, right? Like haunted houses and all those kind of things. Um, then there's a bad fear, right? Where your kids are paralyzed by something they shouldn't be and it keeps them from experiencing greater life as a result. But then there's also a good fear. Isn't there that there's a good fear that we can implement that actually will allow our kids to experience a safer and more satisfying life as a result? And the reason I share that is, listen, the text we are looking at this morning, I think personally, is one of the most terrifying passages in all of the Bible. But what I want you to see is it is not here to paralyze you. It is here to produce in you a good fear that will lead you into a greater life. It is here because we have a father. God, our father, is a good, right, and perfect dad who wants us to experience life as he has intended for it to be. And so this passage is here to scare us, but not to paralyze us, but to run us towards him so that we can grow and experience the life he has for us. Does that make sense? So with that in mind, if you look with me again, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, just to give you a little context, the writer, who we're not really sure who it is, just finished this section talking about this priest from the Old Testament named Melchizedek, who would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people of Israel for this kind of temporary forgiveness of sins. But unfortunately, Mel, like all the other priests of the Old Testament, was a sinful man, and so he was not enough for these people, right? There was more needed than Melchizedek, and what the writer just gets done arguing is that Jesus is that something more. That Jesus is the one who, according to Psalm 110, would come through the line of Melchizedek and he would be the great high priest, the perfect priest, who would lay down his perfect life as a sacrifice for you and me for the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, so that we can stand before God, holy, blameless, and accepted, and experience the life that we are longing for in him. That's what he just finished saying. Okay, so that, that sets up verse 11. He says, in light of this, There is so much more I want to say to you about Jesus. He says there's so much more I want you to know about Jesus. There's a deeper reality I want you to walk in. There's more life I want you to experience. There's more beauty I want you to behold. There's more joy to be found. There's more peace to have. But you have become dull of hearing. There's so much more to Jesus than you could ever imagine. He is better than you could ever dream, but you're not going to experience him because you have become dull of hearing. And then he says in verse 12, as a result, you've stopped growing. You've become stagnant. And you see, this is a huge problem, guys. Because according to the Bible, in passages like Philippians 1.6 and Romans 8.28, when God saves you, he intends to sanctify you. When God saves you, he doesn't just say, okay, well, hey, congratulations, now you're not going to hell. Do whatever you want to do, and we'll see you in a little while. No, when God saves you, he intends with the power of his Spirit to conform you into the image of Jesus. He, he intends to grow you. And so what that means is, listen, if you are a Christian, there should be a progression to your faith. Uh, what he says, actually, in, in verse 12, listen to this. He says there's a point where all of us should be able to teach the gospel. And this does not mean that you get up and, and maybe preach like I'm preaching now. But what this does mean is this. As a Christian, there should come a point where you should be able to sit across the table from somebody and articulate the gospel. There should come a point where you should see, you should be able to say, this is who God is and this is what he's done in my life through Christ. You should be able to, in the Christian life, there should come a point if you have the spirit where you can explain the basic beliefs and principles of the Christian faith. But he says right here to this church, there's a problem, you're not there. He's saying, you're not being the church I've called you to be because you've actually stopped growing. He says, some of you should be teachers by now, but instead you're still sitting back and saying, I need someone to teach me the basic stuff. He says this in in verse 12, you should be on solid food, but instead you're still on milk. And as a result, again, you're missing out on life. You're missing out on something deeper. You're missing out on something more beautiful. He says you should be eating a filet mignon by now, but instead you are still on the bottle. Still on the bottle. Now, we've had a lot of newborns in our church, and I think we've got like what, four or five or six uh, women that are expecting. When we see a baby, a newborn with a bottle, it doesn't weird us out, does it? It's not weird. But if we all see Luke down here with a bottle in his mouth, right? Like, we're going to call the cops, right? Like, it's going to weird us out. We see him just kind of nursing a a bottle, right, dribbling down off his chin. We're going to look and be like, that's not right, right? Like, something is clearly wrong with this guy, right? And and why is that? Because we know grown men are to mature beyond a bottle, right? None of us are going to look at Luke with a bottle in his mouth and, and be okay with that. So here's my question. Why in the world are we okay with that on a spiritual level? Why in the world are we okay with the fact that, that maybe some of us have called ourselves Christians for years and we still have no idea how to teach the gospel? Why is it that, that, that we are okay with the fact that there are some of us who have been in church for a long time and still can't point towards anybody that we are discipling towards Christ? Maybe some of you in here today, like, you started out with a lot of zeal. You started out with a lot of excitement. But somewhere along the way, you have stopped growing. You have stopped maturing. And look right at me, guys. The writer of Hebrews says, this is not the way things are supposed to be. If you are stagnant, what he is saying is that is a symptom that there is something wrong inside of you. Something is off. Something is not matching up here. That's what he's saying to us. And so here's the deal. I think that (laughs) in light of that, like, don't you think it's pretty important today to figure out what that is? I mean, there are some of you right now who are stagnant, like you are dull. And and don't we need to figure out how do we get out of that place? And and maybe there are some of you in here that you are doing really well right now, but how do we keep from falling into that place? Because again, these are people who call themselves Christians, right? They're in the church, but clearly some of them have fallen into this place of apathy. Question we need to be all asking ourselves today is how can we ensure that we continue to grow so that we can experience a deeper and more full life that is found in Christ? How do we do that? How do we do it? And fortunately, the writer of Hebrews answers the question for us in verse 14. It says, you want to keep growing? You want to mature? Look at this, verse 14. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained, here we go, by constant practice. To distinguish good from evil. Trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Translation, here's what the writer says. The mature Christian, the Christian who is growing, the Christian who is flourishing, the Christian who is continuing to experience deeper realities and more joy that is found in Jesus, listen, is not the one who simply gathers more intellectual information about Jesus but they're the one who gets the information and then puts it into practice. The 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 Christian that grows is not someone that just says, hey, I'm going to go do another Bible study. But they're the one who takes that, they take the facts about who God is and what he's done into Christ, and they begin to put that into practice. They apply that to their life. And really, if you think about it, guys, this is just common sense. I mean, isn't this the way all of life works? Like... um. I know there's not a whole lot stronger I can get physically, right? When you look at me, it's pretty obvious, right? Not a whole lot of room for growing muscle-wise, but there's probably still a little bit of room. And uh, it's a joke, by the way, guys, and so I don't really think that about myself. Heaven's <laughs> like, are he you really thinking that? God, what a punk. Um, <laughs> and so if I, if I go to my brother who runs a gym in town as a personal trainer, or I go to Jeremy who's a CrossFit instructor in our church, And I'm like, hey, guys, man, I want to get, I want to grow. I mean, I I want to, I want pecs and biceps and all that. I mean, what do I do, right? It doesn't matter what all they tell me. Am I going to grow if I just take notes and write all that down? Right? Am I going to grow by just learning the technique? Like, awesome, it's all up here. No. How am I going to grow? How am I going to get healthier? How am I going to get pecs, right? By taking what they learn and applying it to my life. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying when it comes to the Christian faith. He's saying when it comes to faith, right, you need to realize nobody is going to stumble onto godliness. You're not just going to wake up one day and be like, I've battled with this sin for 15 years, and I wake up and now it's gone. Amazing. He says if you want to be the man, you want to be the woman God has created you to be, listen guys, he says, you're going to have to put into practice what you know is true about God. I've been reading a book called Resilience. It's written by a, a former Navy SEAL, and I don't, I don't think he's a Christian, but I think what he says here is very applicable to what we're talking about today. He says this in his book, Resilience. Part of the joy of entertainment is that we can appreciate the fruit of someone else's labor without having to do the work ourselves. We watch the dance, but we don't have to sweat. We watch the game, but we don't have to practice through the injury. We watch the play, but we don't have to write, direct, act, light, or rehearse. But if we're entertained too much, and we forget to practice ourselves, we'll lose sight of the work behind the beauty in front of us. We come to believe that dancers, players, and actors simply have talent, and we forget that they have to struggle every single day to develop it. We see the product, but we forget the sweat that is put in. We forget that what looks effortless is usually the product of years of effort. You take that and you apply it to what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. And what I think both of them are saying, you apply this to our faith, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, look, you want joy? You're going to have to fight for it. You want peace? You want an abundant life? You want to be the man and the woman that God has created you to be? Listen, guys, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to put in some efforts. You're going to have to take what you have heard and begin to practice it. Now, some of you hear that, you're like, wait a minute, Jerry, wait a minute, I thought this was a culture of grace. What is, what is all this work stuff? Yeah, this is a culture of grace, but listen, guys, grace is not the absence of discipline. You understand, like, grace is not, like, cruise control, this is awesome, right? Like, grace is not the absence of hard work. And we're going to see that. We're going to kick off a series after this series through the book of James. We're going to see that more in there, and we see it right here. Notice the writer says, look, if you're not growing, if you're stagnant, if you're not maturing, look what he says. It's not because the milk you originally fed was not good enough. It's because you never swallowed the milk. Maybe you swished it around in your mouth a little bit, tasted all right but you never actually took it in. He goes on in verse 14 to build off this idea. He says, look, the reason you're not maturing, it's not because the gospel isn't sufficient. It's because you're not taking the gospel in. You might like the idea of Jesus. I mean, God, what's something like about a, a God who came here to earth and saved us from hell, right? You like the idea of that, but you're not applying that to your life. You're not putting it into practice. You know who God is and what he's done for you in Christ, but you're not receiving that by faith, letting it change who you are and work itself out in how you live in your everyday life. This is the reason you're not experiencing a deep, satisfying, life-transforming relationship with this Jesus is because you keep hearing these truths over and over and over again and then doing nothing about it. You hear over and over again, stop holding resentment against your enemies forgive your enemies and you say no nah, I don't think so I'm going to hang on to bitterness instead you hear over and over again go and make disciples it's a command in scripture just like thou shalt not murder and you say I don't think so don't really have the time not really qualified you hear over and over again right it's better to give than receive and you say I'm going to keep consuming and I'm going to do what I want with my money and I'm going to tell God I cannot do what he's already told me to do you hear these things over and over. And listen, guys, listen. Every time you say no, you take one step closer for towards becoming dull in your hearing. And as a result, you stop growing. And, and here's the deal the reason this is so terrifying is because, as we're going to see in chapter 6, what he's going to say here is be- because you're not growing. It is a sign that you are possibly spiritually dead. But that's what he's going to say right here. In, in chapter six, verse one, let's just let's just read it together. We have time. Verse one, the following, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go into maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. This is a weird verse, isn't it? And this we will do, if God permits. Verse four, for it is Impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have entrusted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain, and often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those who, um, whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. Look at this, verse 8. But if it bears thorns and thistles, right? If rather than bearing fruit, it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And in the end, what happens? It is to be burned. (laughs) Here's what the router's doing here. Um, Most of you know I hate flying. I would literally rather play patty cake with a dead mouse than fly. (laughs) But... Because I'm a pastor, uh, there's times I have to travel and I have to fly. And for those of you who have been on a plane, you know what happens before the flight takes off. A flight attendant comes into the aisle and she begins to show you right, like what to do in case the plane experiences some difficulty, and so like in in case the cabin loses oxygen, here's your oxygen mask, here's how you put it on, in case we get some turbulence so you don't fall out of your chair, here's how you use your seat belt, right, in case the plane catches on fire and we're going down and we do land without you dying, here's how you get out of the plane without burning alive, right, (laughs) all she's trying to do is keep us alive, and yet what's going on is she's giving us these instructions, dude in the front's like jamming out to some songs, Business guy beside me is reading something on his Kindle, and literally this happened on the way back from Denver. A couple beside me is eating a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> it's like grease is falling off them. Like this is so delicious, you know. It's like they're just mmm, this is so good. Want some? Like no, I'm good. And so, um, all this lady wants to do is save our lives, and yet we are tuning her out. And what the writer is saying is, this is what some of you are doing with God. He is trying to save your life. He is trying to lead you into something more beautiful, something more magnificent, something that will outlast and outshine anything the world has to offer you, and you're tuning him out. And what he says, and and look at this, guys, you've got to hear this. What he's saying in chapter 6 is this. If you continue to tune him out, if you continue to not listen, if you continue to say, you know what, I'm going to hear this, but I'm not going to apply the truth. If you stop putting your faith into practice, the writer says you are in a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous spot. You say, well, well how dangerous are we talking about here? Like, what are we talking about here? Right? Are, we, are we talking about we're going to lose our salvation? Right, Jared, is, is that what you're saying? Is that what the writer is saying in chapter 6, that that if we don't apply our faith, we're going to lose our salvation? I would say no. But this is what he is saying. Listen carefully, guys. I know it's easy to get distracted and people are trying to bring in the folks, but let's focus. This is so important. What the writer is saying is this. Your lack of practicing your faith, your lack of taking God's word seriously and seeking to apply it to your life is not a sign that you've lost your salvation. It's a sign that you've never had it. And verse 8 says, if you continue in this pattern, eventually you will head towards destruction. And what makes this passage so scary to me is that there's verse 5, where basically, for those of us in the Bible Belt, this is really scary. He says, it doesn't even matter if you've experienced spiritual things or not. It doesn't matter if you prayed a prayer at vacation Bible school or in a revival someday. You have some emotional experience, and you walk down your buddy with the aisle, and you all cried. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. What he's saying is if you really receive the Spirit, your faith's going to continue to progress now in the present and into the future. What he's saying here, it doesn't matter how you started. What matters is what's going on right now. And if you continue in apathy, you continue to just set aside God's word as if it's not really that big of a deal, listen, what he's saying is you can have zero assurance of your salvation no matter what you've done in the past. Some of you are like, this just doesn't sound like grace to me, Jared. Okay, well, you don't understand grace. The Bible is clear, listen guys, in Ephesians 2, we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. When God saves us, he plans to use us for his glory. And if you are not seeking to do the things God has called you to do, there's not a real pursuit of this in your life, and I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, right? Like, sanctification doesn't mean like, become a Christian and bam, like I just rock it to like you know great new heights and i never hit any bumps like no sanctification is more like this right there's ups and downs but there's a progression and what the writer's saying though if there's not this progression there's a good chance you've never received the spirit of god now can we all agree this morning that's a pretty terrifying idea isn't it but remember why is it here to produce the good fear It is not here so that you go home tonight and lay in bed and be like, oh my God, like, am I in? Am I out? Like, am I going to hell? Am I going to heaven? Like, that's not why this is here. It is here to produce a fear that leads us to trusting God more. And that's what the writer gets at in verse 11 and 12. He says this, he says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What the writer is saying is, look, I'm not sharing this with you so that you just like throw in the towel and say, well, I can never do this thing. I'm out. He doesn't share this with you so that you just go home and sit in a big steaming pile of shame. He says, the reason I'm sharing this is because I want you to apply your faith. I want you to get serious. I want you to really believe, not just with your head, but your heart. God is who he says he is and he's done everything he says he's done in Christ so that you can have full assurance of hope until the end. He says, I'm not writing this to you so that you'll beat yourself up. I'm writing this to you so you'll look to Jesus, who he goes on to say in chapter 12, is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He says, I'm I'm sharing this with you, not so you'll sit in despair, but so you'll get up and you'll go to Jesus. That's why I'm sharing this, so that you will keep trusting in him and know that when you do, even when you're not perfect, he will safely lead you home. That's what this fear is meant to do. It's not here to rob you of life. It is here so that you can experience a greater and more abundant and fuller life. My kids are scared of the street. And I'm glad that they are. Because what that means is there's a good chance when I come home from work, tomorrow and the day after, my kids are going to be home. I'm glad my kid's afraid of the street. I'm glad my son's afraid of the street so when I get home tomorrow, I can wrestle with him in the floor. I'm, I'm, I'm glad my daughter's afraid of the street because it means on Wednesday there's a good chance I'm going to get to go watch her dance at her dance class. I'm glad that my, my kids are afraid of the street because it means that we're going to get to have donuts again this Saturday. I'm glad my kids are afraid of the street because it means hopefully I'll get to watch my son be the athlete I never was, right? Or one day I'll get to walk my daughter down the aisle as she marries a man who loves Jesus more than he loves her. My kids are afraid of the street, but it's not a bad fear. It's not that they're paralyzed. Like, oh my God, the street's out there. Like, what are we going to do, right? Like, no, they're afraid when they need to be afraid. And the fear leads them into a greater life. I'm not sure how you came in here today. But listen, look right at me. This passage should strike fear in every one of us. We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about eternity that could start tonight for some of us. This is a weighty, weighty issue. And to be honest, listen, if you're not afraid, you should be the person who's most afraid. Because it would appear to me, just according to this passage, you have become dull of hearing. I mean, guys, none of us are exempt from this. You understand? I'm a pastor, I started this church, I've got a master's in the Bible, it doesn't matter what I've done up to this point, if I decide tomorrow, you know what, yeah, I'm going to follow some of this and some of it I'm just going to throw away, I don't really care what God says about this, God cares about that, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing, you know what that means, it doesn't mean I lost my salvation, it means I never had it and this whole ministry thing was just all about my ego and I did this for me more than I did it for God, that's what it means. None of us are exempt from this, which means all of us should be asking the questions today. Like, are there things in Scripture I know God has called me to do that I'm not doing? Clearly? Are there sins that I've stopped fighting? Are there certain limits that I've set on my life that God did not set on my life? Am I really growing with those closest to me say that I'm more like Jesus today than I was this time last year? These are questions that all of us should be wrestling through. We have experienced as a church a lot of numerical growth over the last year. I think we're at, like, Eric was telling me it's like a 50% growth rate right now. I mean, this time last year on on Sunday morning, we would average, I think it was a 159, and now we average 240-plus on a Sunday. Uh, This time last year, which just gets me more excited, we had 170 in missional communities. Now we have 259 actively involved in missional communities. And that's exciting, and that's great, but look, Here's the deal. I promise you, we did not plant this church to experience just new miracle growth. We planted it because we want to see personal growth. We want to see your marriage flourishing. We want to see you enjoying God more. We want to see you conform more into the image of his son. And as pastors, we are so committed to trying to create an environment where that can take place. But look right at me. Your growth is more on you than it is on the pastors and on the leaders. If you want to grow, you have to take responsibility for your growth. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. I mean, it's one of the reasons we had this series that we've launched. And we've talked about, I mean, the first week, that one of the ways you can grow is by gathering regularly with us on Sundays, hearing the Word preached, singing songs that are Christ-centered, taking communion that we do each week, praying together, worshiping together, We talked about last week how you want to grow, you can be obedient to the Great Commission, the thing left of the church. Remember, Jesus didn't just say, I command you to make converts, I command you to make disciples. And so we can go on mission and seek to to make disciples. And what did Jesus say? There, I am with you always on the mission of making disciples. So we can grow by embracing that. Next week, Rusty is going to share how we can grow through giving, by giving of our time and our talents and our treasures. There's lots of ways we can grow, but look, Here's what I want to encourage you with. I want to encourage you to start here by diving into God's Word. The writer of Hebrews wants to encourage you by starting with taking in the milk. Not just reading it, but taking it in and saying, whatever this is in here, I'm applying it or I'm going to seek to apply it today to the power of the Spirit. As you know, your pastoral staff, we have worked really hard to create this spiritual health assessment that every member can take so that you can be assessed kind of with where you are spiritually at this point. And if you're a member and you have not taken that, you can email me, email Rusty, email Luke, and we'll be sure and get you the link to that so you can take it. The number one thing that we have found in people that take this is that our people are spending very little time in God's Word. Very little time. We have let our time in God's Word get hijacked by the busyness of life, and then we wonder, why does God feel so far away? Why do I continue to struggle with the same sins over and over and over? Why do I not feel Him near to me? Why do I not experience His power in my life? And so what we want to encourage you to do is, if we want to as pastors, we're committed to helping you learn how to dive into the Bible and read it. And one of the ways we're going to do that, we're going to start this morning and just do it. Where, Where are we at in time? I think we can do this pretty quickly. What I want to do is, I just want to, because this is such a big deal to us, I want to show you right now how you can begin today to dive into the Scripture and take something from it for your own spiritual growth. And I apologize, we were supposed to have bookmarks here. Can you show a picture of that? Okay. We're going to give every one of these a book, uh, every one of you a, a bookmark next week when you leave. Everyone can get one. We'll put them on the table. These were supposed to come in like Wednesday, and they didn't come in. And so, uh, Rusty almost lost his religion over trying to talk with a person from India on the, <laughs> <laughs> on the phone about why are they not here. And so, <laughs> uh, um, but anyways, they're not here, and so we will have those for you. But let's just pretend that this little sheet of paper, where is it, that I have my Bible, is one of these bookmarks, okay? So this is my bookmark. Uh, let's just pretend that I'm going to read in Galatians tomorrow. I'm going to pick one section from my Bible, just one section. And I'm going to read it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out my bookmark. And by the way, if you like don't have a physical copy of the Bible and you just use it on your phone, just take a picture of your bookmark and leave it in your photos and pull it up so that you know. What I'm going to do, I'm going to make this super simple. I'm going to read this, and then every day I'm just going to answer one question from my list. Just one question. That's it. Okay? And so let's, let's do this together. I'm going to get some feedback, hopefully, from you guys. Can we put up there? Okay, is that it? Galatians chapter 1. So i open my Bible. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. From the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is going to be hard, because I guess we can't put it all on the screen at one time. Can you do that? Okay, I'll just try to buy some time while you do that. Um, so, it was good was a good Razorback game yesterday, wasn't it? Oh. Um, all right. So, all right, so we got Galatians chapter 1. If you do have a Bible, you might want to turn there and just look yourself. Do we got it up there? Awesome. Okay, I was about to try to tell a joke. Um, (laughs) And so um, we're reading through this, okay? And the first thing we're going to do is is just say it's Monday. We're going to ask ourselves, what's the main point of this? What do I think? And you might not get it perfect, but that's okay. Don't let that scare you away. We're going to look and say, what's the main point of this? And just for the sake of time, I'm going to answer this one, and I'm going to say, you know, I think that that it seems like to me, and Paul's just introducing himself to the people he's writing a letter to, and he's just saying, hey, I'm an apostle, right, right, I'm a sent one, I'm a missionary, because Jesus really did get out of the grave, okay, and before he got out of the grave, he died for my sins, I believe that, that Christ really did die and raise from the dead for me, he's alive, right, and therefore I want to give my life to telling people about Jesus, Right. That's what it seems like the main point of this is. And so I'm just going to the first day just try to develop that as I'm praying through that text. Second day, Tuesday, I'm going to ask myself, and this is where I want feedback. Who is God just in light of this text? Don't answer from Genesis. He's the creator. OK, where did you see that in the text? Nowhere. Right. And so who is God just in light of this passage? Throw some stuff out there. Yeah, he's a father. Anything else? worthy of glory and a deliverer there's so much more we could pull out for the sake of time we'll stop there you could probably pull five six seven eight nine things out so what i do at that point is i just pray this god would you please help me to believe you're my father help me to believe you're not just some distant deity but that you're really my dad and that you're a deliverer help me to believe that more okay that's day two that's it day three what has he done in christ what, what has He done? Maybe the way to think about it, we said He's a Father. We said He's a Deliverer. What else did we say? He's worthy of glory. What is it about what He's done through Jesus that makes those things even more true in our life? That He is our Father. He is our Deliverer. What is, what is, what He's done through Christ, how does it prove those things to be true? Okay. Awesome. Great, so Christ, right, through his life, death, and resurrection, he's the one that's made us children of God. Perfect. What else? Anything else that we see? Okay, awesome. Yeah, so great. And so, yeah, he is a a sent one on our behalf, right, to make all these things possible. Very good. So, again, I'm just praying through this. Father, help me to believe that this, this is true because Jesus has accomplished this for me. I didn't accomplish it, but Jesus accomplished it for me. So praise to your name, right? Glory to you forever, not me. So then the next day rolls around, right? Day four. And I ask myself this, who am I in light of this passage? What does this tell me about humans and about me specifically? What do we learn about humans in this case? And for those of us who have become Christians, possibly. Okay, we need deliverance. To be delivered. There is a real present evil around us, whether we believe it or not, and we need to be delivered. We are people that cannot deliver ourselves. We need delivered. What else? Anything else we see? We're still sin. What's that? Okay, still, still sin, still in need of grace and, and 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 uh, yeah, absolutely mercy. Still in need of it. So, again, I'm just praying through these things in day four. Help me to believe, right? this truth. I I am someone that needs to be delivered. What do I need to be delivered from? Maybe even asking myself that. I'm still in need of grace today. Still in need of it, right? Okay. Fifth day, here's where the rubber begins to hit the road. Here's where the rubber hits the road. What am I to do now in light of this if this truth was explosively alive in my heart? If I really believe this to the core of who I am, what do I need to do? How would it change things for me? God's my Father. He's my Deliverer. From Him comes grace and peace. How would that change things? What's that? Absolutely. So that's good news, right? You can be delivered. There's grace. So yeah, man, I should be proclaiming this. What else? Oh, awesome. Yeah. Greater is He that's in us than it's in the world, right? We not to be afraid like, I'm just going to always carry this ball and chain. am just going to always have this issue in my life. It is what it is. No, we've got a deliverer. Okay, good. And then the last thing we would just ask is this. The next day, why is the Spirit, day six, why is the Spirit revealing this to me now? As you think about the stage of life that you're in now, as you think about the situation you're faced in, every situation's different. And so, again, I'll just answer this for us for the sake of time for me. I just thought about that this morning, and I thought, you know, what would change for me is... Um, I would be much more gracious towards people who I don't think get it quickly enough. God continues to show grace to me, and right now there's some people, right, that I need to start extending grace to more so than what I am. That's what I think would be telling me. Right, now listen, here's the deal. If you will do that regularly, intentionally, and prayerfully, you will be, I promise you, well on your way to growing and maturing in the faith as you're seeking to apply these things to the Spirit. This is a great place to start, but listen to me, we're about done this morning. It's a great place to start, but it's not a great place to stop. Every single week we encourage you, we tell you, you cannot grow in isolation. We must grow in community. And the writer of Hebrews ends with saying the exact same thing. He says in verse 12, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through the faith and patient inherit the promise. What he's saying is you need to place yourself around other people who are imitating Christ, who are pursuing Jesus, for some of you, what this means is you need to get involved in a missional community. We say that every single week, not because we're trying to make you a cog in our vision right and our wheel, right but we really believe if you want to mature, you've got to get involved in community. For others, maybe you're in a missional community, but you're not involved in a fight club and so we encourage you to take a step even further into these little uh, fight clubs, which are groups of three to four men or three to four women who are seeking to in a real personal and practical way fight their sin with the gospel. Some of you are here today, listen, and you're only showing up on Sundays, and we are glad that you are here. We're not ever going to force you to get involved in community, but each week we're going to be inviting you into it. Every week, for your good and the good of your family. If you just continue to show up each week, literally, you're just dating the church. And like dating relationships, you have all the issues of marriage, but none of the benefits. Okay? And so we encourage you, get committed Get committed, right? Step out of the shadows. I know it's scary, but I promise you it is far scarier for us to try to apply what God is teaching us all in isolation. Some of you, maybe today, you have become dull of hearing. You are less and less sensitive to sins that used to bother you. God's voice is becoming more distant. And listen, the worst thing that you can do right now is stuff that fear. The worst thing you can do right now is try to look, guys. Think about all you have to do and wash out the fear with the busyness of life. If you are afraid today, you should be afraid. And I would say this, if you're afraid, praise God. Because that's a sign the Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. And you've not become dull of hearing. And what I would encourage you to do is let this fear drive you to Jesus, the one who the writer says in chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe. The great news this morning is it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you have not done. Today, you can run to Jesus as you are. And you can find forgiveness, and you can find freedom. You can find salvation and the satisfaction that you were longing for through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. He is the one who has lived a perfect life we could never live. He died a death we deserve to die. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins, to cover our sins, past, present, and future. And then he rose from the dead, and now he is not just our great high priest who is interceding on behalf of God for us, but he has sent us his very spirit, Romans 8 says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell in you, to help you to live the life he's called you to live, a life that will give you the fulfillment that you are longing for that is found nowhere else but in Christ.